0: This is the Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the full story. TLMP Monique Ryan is being sued in the federal court by her former staffer, Sally Rugg, a high-profile LGBT plus rights campaigner who claims she was forced to resign after making complaints about her excessive workload and hours. So far, this case has attracted a lot of attention.
0: Dr Monique Ryan says her chief of staff quit. I'm not making any comment. Why do you want to keep your job, Sally?
1: Rugg's lawyers say the outcome could change work hours, not just for parliamentary staffers, but for a larger pool of exploited workers. Others say it could also change who gets to work in federal politics. Today, Rugg versus Ryan. It's Wednesday, the 8th of March. So, Paul, this case has a few interesting personalities involved and could affect more than just one parliamentary staffer. What do you find most interesting about it?
0: Well, it's a court case that's both important in terms of the working conditions in a very unique and strange workplace, the Australian Parliament. Paul
1: Karp is a political reporter at Guardian Australia.
0: And so the case is more than just Sally Rugg. The case is who gets to work in politics how hard do they have to work? And are the conditions in this building and in professional contexts all around Australia really reasonable and safe?
1: When Sally Rugg was first appointed to this role, it really caught people's attention. You've got two high profile progressive women working together. Can you tell me a bit about them?
0: You've got Monique Ryan, the independent MP. She's the teal queen who was the sort of teal giant killer in, in the election in that she, she beat Deputy Liberal Leader uh, and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg to win the seat of Koo
1: Our climate has changed.
0: And then her chief of staff is uh, Sally Rugg, who's an LGBTQ rights activist and feminist. What do we
1: want? Paris, Paris. When do we want it? Paris. Amazing
0: who played a big part in the marriage law postal survey as she was uh, the head of campaigns at Get Up at the time and, you know, is a, is a force in progressive politics herself.
1: If there's one thing worse than the patriarchy,
0: it's the amalgamation of church and state. Am I right? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Tell me about their working relationship.
0: Well, the thing that makes it so interesting is that there, there is obviously a high degree of mutual respect between these two and you, you see Sally Rugg describing it as her dream job and Rugg even tweeted, you know, I love my new job so much, oh my God. They go to the football together, they, uh, you know, she's retweeted videos of her with Ryan and saying it's the best job in the world. So you would expect that with this compatibility of values that they would have a very strong working relationship.
1: Mm, But instead, just over six months into the job, Rugg is suing Ryan. Why?
0: In January, we found out that just before Christmas, Sally Rugg tendered a letter of resignation and that was going to take effect at the end of January. But then she launched a federal court case arguing that she was pushed to resign by Monique Ryan and claiming that she'd been forced out because she exercised a workplace right to refuse unreasonable additional hours and that Ryan had induced her employer, which is the Commonwealth, to take what's called adverse action, which is punishing someone for a prohibited reason, in this case, for exercising a workplace right to say no to extra hours. And Rugg is suing the Commonwealth and Monique Ryan for that alleged adverse action. Why the Commonwealth? Technically, the Commonwealth employs all members of parliamentary staff. So regardless of, you know, which minister or MP or senator you work for, technically your boss is the Commonwealth.
1: So Rugg alleges that she told Ryan she couldn't work the long hours that she was asked to do, and she's now alleging she was unfairly dismissed for it. Is that kind of the long and the short of it, Paul?
0: Yes, although it's technically not an unfair dismissal case because the Member of Parliamentary Staff Act gives the MPs the ability to sack employees at will. That's why it's such a big power imbalance in this workplace. So the case is brought under what's called the Fair Work Act's general protections, which is not unfair dismissal, but it's a little similar in that you can't sack someone for one of a list of prohibited reasons. And in this case, that Mm. reason is exercising a workplace right to refuse unreasonable additional hours. Now, Ruggers applied to the court for an injunction to prevent her sacking from taking effect, to uh, keep her job in the meantime until the full hearing. And on Tuesday, the federal court ruled, despite there being a serious question to be tried, it just would be unworkable and completely inconvenient to try and force these two people to work together pending the full trial. So Rugg did not get her job back.
1: Let's talk through this in a little bit more detail. What type of hours does Sally Rugg allege that she had to work? And what does she say the workplace was like in general?
0: So Sally Rugg says that she had to work 70 hours plus in a week. And that was in sitting weeks when Parliament was in Canberra, 12-hour days. That's working on both days of the weekend, you know, writing speeches and getting ready for the next week. And even in non-sitting weeks when back in Melbourne, she said she worked eight or nine hours in the office. So... Between September and November, uh, Rugg details a series of unpleasant exchanges between her and Ryan about workload and performance. Uh, In one incident, she alleges that Ryan was very angry and highly accusatory that she didn't prepare her adequately for sitting weeks. In another, Ryan uh, allegedly said her team had really dropped the ball on non-Twitter social media and she hadn't posted anything to Instagram for 10 days, and Rugg said that she and Ryan cried at that meeting. Rugg said things got very personal, that Ryan blamed her when she missed out on a speaking spot on a pension bill and that Ryan was furious with her. Ryan said she was disappointed but not furious. And then there's a meeting on the 15th of November where Rugg alleges that Ryan said, I don't think it's working out. I feel when I ask you to work longer hours or on the weekend, you look at me like you don't want to and you feel that I'm taking you away from your family and that I'm a bad person. You're not working hard enough and I need someone who works harder than you.
1: It does sound like a breakdown and their relationship over about six months from what Rugg alleges there. What does Monique Ryan say to all of this?
0: So Ryan denies any hostile conduct in these and other episodes. Uh, She accepts that she was upset at missing the speaking spot, but denied that she was furious. She also gives another reason for why she was disappointed in Rugg's performance, which was the fact that she travelled by plane while she was sick with COVID-19. And in December, at a meeting in the electorate office, Rugg claims that Ryan told her that she was writing a formal warning for having travelled home from Canberra with COVID.
1: A lot of people are adjusting to what the rules are when you do have COVID and travelling. What what was the exact nature of Rugg's travel while while she was sick with COVID?
0: Well, Rugg didn't think it was as serious as Ryan because it wasn't illegal at the time to travel with COVID and secondly because her GP had told her to self-isolate ideally at home and she said, well, implicit in that is if home is in Melbourne and I'm in Canberra, like that I should be able to, to return home in this case by flying. But in Ryan's evidence, she said, you know, she thought it was a huge reputational issue and also, you know, morally wrong. And Ryan said the sole reason she gave Rugg a formal warning about her employment was this risk to the public from flying with COVID, not the prohibited reason of exercising a workplace right to refuse unreasonable additional hours.
1: And what about the core allegation that Rugg was expected to work unreasonable hours, 70 plus hours a week? What does Monique Ryan say to that?
0: Ryan said that when Parliament was sitting, you know, there were weeks when Rugg would have worked 70-hour weeks, but her output in non-sitting weeks was not commensurate with that. And Ryan disagrees with any suggestion that she required or expected her to work that number of hours and never once directed her to do that. But it is something that she's acknowledged in past. And uh, in the court case, they've quoted an interview that she gave to The Australian in October saying that she's got real concerns about a staff member working 70 hours a week. And she's quoted as saying, it's not healthy. I think it's only a matter of time before we have a poor outcome with one of our staff members. The court documents, of course, confirmed that was her chief of staff, Sally Rugg.
1: I mean, when I hear 70 hours a week, it does sound like a lot, but I know there's different expectations in different workplaces around Australia, right? You work in Canberra, you know staffers there. Is this normal?
0: So it's a very intense workplace. Long hours are not uncommon, but it does depend on your boss. Like some MPs and senators require their staff to be there until Parliament adjourns every day, no matter if they're speaking at the end of the day or not. And, you know, that can easily add up to 12-hour days. Others, if they have a bigger staff or they're more concerned about balancing staff's caring commitments or whatever, might let them go early and start earlier and and things like that to balance the workload. Now, in addition to the base pay, a lot of staffers, including Sally Rugg, get a payment of about $30,000 for additional hours. But, it's not clear how many hours that that buys. And so that might make it less likely that the uh, additional hours were unreasonable. But it's not a blank check for 32 extra hours a week adding up to 70 hours is what Sally Rugg's lawyers are arguing.
1: Paul, in June, just before Sally Rugg was hired, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese cut the staffing allocations of independents and minor parties. How does that decision play into this case?
0: They went from having eight staff, four in the electorate and four, you know, personal staff for parliament to having five, four in the electorate and one for parliament. And so someone like Sally Rugg was stepping into this position, being expected to do the work that was previously done by several staff members.
1: This has been a pretty unpopular measure, especially among independents, as you can imagine, What was the reason for this, this cut in staffing for these MPs?
0: Well, Anthony Albanese said, first of all, it was sort of a sweetheart deal that Scott Morrison did for the crossbench and they never used to have that level of staff. And second of all, he said that it was unfair that a crossbench MP would get more staff than a backbench MP in one of the major parties who has to work just as hard representing their community.
1: What else does Rugg allege about the pressures within Monique Ryan's office?
0: Well... Raga alleges that at one point Monique Ryan said that her political movement was bigger than Ku Yong and I quote, I want to be the Prime Minister one day and I need to know my staff are prepared to work hard for me. So the, the suggestion here is that she was trying to build a political movement and so the work demands were even greater than just an MP representing Ku Yong to the best of their ability but like really uh, thinking l- long term about grand ambitions on the horizon.
1: Planning your prime ministerial career six months into your first gig as a politician sounds ambitious. What did you think when you first heard this, Paul?
0: I think regardless of whether or not Monique Ryan said that or whether it was intended as a joke, I think it does show that she's a very ambitious person. She had the foot on the accelerator from the moment she arrived in Canberra. Uh, This was not someone who's content to spend her first term of parliament just, you know, getting to know how the system works. This is someone that wants to have as big an impact as possible as soon as possible.
1: Next, how this court case could be won or lost, and why it matters for workers in Australia. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. tipped Sally Rugg over the line to decide to resign in the end, Paul.
0: So Rugg went off sick on stress leave from the 8th to the 16th of December. She had a performance review in which uh, Ryan offered to re-employ her as a casual or put her on a performance improvement plan. Rugg claims that on the 21st of December, Ryan was sarcastic in questioning her need for stress leave and said she was going to terminate her employment regardless of the improvement plan. Ryan denies that claim. In her affidavit, Rugg said that she replied, Monique, you're a GP. I can't believe you're accusing me of faking my medical leave. Rugg claims Ryan offered for her to resign, give her six weeks' salary, and make her sign a non-disparagement contract. Ryan did not dispute that.
1: This case is yet to go to court. That's still about three to six months away. What are the key moments that you'll be paying attention to, Paul?
0: Well Rugg has to prove that she exercised a workplace right to refuse unreasonable additional hours. So at that first stage, they're going to have an argument about did she work those hours, was that unreasonable, or was the pay sufficient that, you know, 60 or 70 hours a week is fine. If she wins on that point, then the burden shifts to Monique Ryan to prove that she didn't take that adverse action For a prohibited reason. And this is the point that's going to be really difficult for Sally Rugg because this is a very plaintiff-unfriendly section of the Fair Work Act. If the court accepts that Monique Ryan did it for another reason, like the COVID flight, or did it for the reason that she was snubbing a particular type of work, community work in the electorate, and not the amount of work, then that could be sufficient to prove that she didn't do it for the prohibited reason. And it's very possible that Rugg could win the battle on whether the hours were terrible, but lose the war. Mm. You
1: mentioned that the legislation that Sally Ruggs' employment falls under is fairly hostile to some of the workplace rights of, of staffers. Can you break down what this legislation is and how it does work?
0: So most employees' work is governed by the Fair Work Act. Staffers in Parliament, it's governed by two things, the Fair Work Act and the Member of Parliament Staff Act which is an act that in some ways is very generous, like if your boss loses an election, you get a big payout, but in other ways is very harsh for staffers because it gives much stronger rights for the employer to say, hey, we're just not getting on, like, bye, there's the door.
1: Right. This is something that was looked at by the Jenkins Review, also known as the Set the Standard Review, which explored the toxic workplace culture in in Parliament. Some claimed that this legislation meant that Political staffers have much less rights than other workers around Australia. What has been done to shift this imbalance, Paul?
0: So the the MOPS Act still allows at-will employment, so your MP and Senator can still sack you at any time. But there have been some sort of cultural improvements in Parliament after the Jenkins setting the standard report. I mean, the the rules of parliament itself have changed so that sitting weeks don't clash with school holidays, slightly shortened sitting days with no votes after a particular time in the, the late afternoon, early evening, and instead things are voted on the next day to try and allow you know MPs to not be in parliament until it finishes every single day or to allow their staff to go home a little bit earlier. So there there have been some cultural improvements around hours worked. There's a lot more, you know, parliamentary workplace support service, much better sort of HR processes generally, but the power imbalance between the, the boss, the MP and, or senator and the staff still exists.
1: Is there enough there to ensure that staffers aren't working unreasonable hours in Canberra?
0: There are moves to try and improve the standards, including, you know, a code of conduct for federal parliamentarians, but it's, it's a really difficult workplace to regulate because there's almost an unlimited amount of work that can be done for a community. I mean, you can go to more community events. You can answer more correspondence that comes into the office. You can take up people's cases and make personal representations to, to ministers. There's, there's really no end to, to the amount of work that MPs and their staff, therefore, can be doing.
1: Mm. Sally Rugg and her legal team say this is a test case for Commonwealth workers and also a much larger pool of exploited workers more generally and that it could inspire class actions and the like going forward. Can you break down why that is?
0: The case is quite important, not just for this peculiar workplace of parliament, but also lots of other industries where people are working incredibly long hours in an office setting, like lawyers, accountants, management consultants, anything where they give you dinner at 8pm and a cab charge if you work to midnight, That sort of horrible setup. Mm. And so if you want to leave the office after 50 hours a week and see your kids and you're a junior lawyer, this is the sort of case that you're... You, that you want the plaintiff to win because it makes a big difference for your work-life balance what the court says is reasonable.
1: This raises an interesting point in that you can imagine that these types of hours would make it harder for a whole host of people to get parliamentary staffing jobs. You know, people with families, people with certain health conditions might find it hard to work those hours. And these roles are important. You're influencing politicians, you're influencing political debate and government. Is that a concern that this case highlights? That work hours are ruling some people out of federal politics.
0: Yeah, the workload uh, determines to an extent who gets to work in politics. And uh, if it's such a hostile environment, if the hours are so long you can't hire people with caring responsibilities, then that, that's going to result in, in discrimination. Or you won't put yourself forward for the job if you feel you can't give 70-hour weeks. Then you, you really have to be an able-bodied person, uh, has as few commitments as possible, that can jet around the country with your boss at the drop of a hat. It, it really excludes a lot of people from getting involved in politics and, and trying to make a difference as a staffer.
1: That was political reporter Paul Karp. You can read more about this case at theguardian.com and I do recommend Paul's explainer from the weekend titled Sally Rugg versus Monique Ryan. Court documents reveal how working relationship fell apart, which goes into more detail on the court documents filed so far in this case. We've linked to that on the full story page as well. This episode was produced by Joe Koning, Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. Theme music by Joe Koning. The executive producer of this episode was Molly Glassie. I'm Laura Mafiotis. Thanks for listening.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.